Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Sviontek captures her first title on home soil. Fritz triumphs in Atlanta. And Zverev wins his first title in two years in Hamburg. Kim, Chris, today is the 31st of July and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Wimbledon is over. We can look forward now to the North American hard court swing. Well, we're not there just yet. We're in this sort of weird middle ground. We've still got some clay tournaments. We've got some hard court tournaments as well. Shiontek's won a 250, which has never happened before. So uh, yeah, there's still lots of interesting things to talk about. And we are back as a three. We are. And, and Chris, you're back from all your travels, globe trotting around Europe for the tennis. Never never more than two hours from Copenhagen, though. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, well, no, that's not true. Four hours, four hours for Hamburg. But yes, I'm back. Um, and that very weird section of the tour seems to be where I thrive, Joel. So thank goodness for the in-between bit. It's really hard to know what I feel this part of the tour is called. Like, is it post-Wimbledon? Is it pre-US Open? Does it even need a name? I, I, I'm just confused. I don't know. Is it like Twixmas? Oh, it could be. Are all the tournament's going to change, though, from, from clay too hard. Is it? Is it on the way out? That's the big question. Yeah. I, I, do you know what? I honestly just want it to be on its way out I feel like it, it just needs a clean break and we don't have that at the moment and it I think it should just be hard courts now um forget the clay I love the clay though so I'm all for it but there's too uh, many Eager hard didn't. courts as it is I'm for the clay as well oh okay okay <laughs> well I mean we, we we're going to be talking hard court events we're going to be talking clay court events we're going to be talking combined events as well because we've got Washington ATP WTA 500 uh, coming up next week, which is a, a first. Um, we've also got some news um, in relation to Svitolina and Victoria Azarenka and having a crowd announcement before their match. So yeah, there's lots and lots of stuff to sink our teeth into as usual. Absolutely. And also some off-court um, highlights, shall we say. Joel, you were really excited um, to tell us all on WhatsApp in the week that Nick Kyrgios has got a massive tattoo on his back for one. I mean, quite a lot has been going on off court, hasn't <laughs> Chris, it? Chris didn't think this was real. I didn't even think this was real, actually. I was shocked, honestly. Um, this is as bad as Ben Affleck's <laughs> tattoos, I've got to be honest. <laughs> but uh, if, if our listeners aren't aware, Nick Kyrgios has got his whole back tattooed with Pokemon. So, you know, Pokemon, a staple of, of my childhood. I don't know about your childhood, but uh, a staple of my childhood. And so, yeah, it's a quite a it's quite a visually interesting graphic. Um, I did have to count that I, I think nine Pokemon in total. And what are you setting par at? 
<laughs> well, I was temp- I was tempted to make it a little bit of a part. I know of the my courts, Snorlaxes but... from my Charizards. I mean, they are all Generation One. You've got Charizard, Gyarados, Lapras, Alakazam, Blastoise, Mewtwo, Gengar, Dragonite, and Snorlax. But I mean, yeah, what? I didn't know he was such a gamer. I mean, it says one hour, though. It says just a full line's just one hour. That's never a good sign if a tattoo that big (laughs) takes an hour, I have to say. Maybe it's a wash-off one. It will, you know, tomorrow it will be gone. Um, I don't think it is a (laughs) wash-off (laughs) game. I mean, I I only know Pikachu as as a Pokemon. I've got no (laughs) idea about any other Pokemon. But so I'm slightly bemused as to why Pikachu isn't featuring in this tattoo. That was the disappointment, right? That, that well, there were only nine Pokemon. Yeah, we didn't get any Pikachu. I was gutted. There was no. Uh, I mean, what's my favourite one? Doug Trio. Oh, I mean, wow. we're, we're getting That's quite a niche here. Deep we're getting really yeah, we're getting niche. We're getting niche. <laughs> here. Listeners, we are getting but niche. I'll tell you one thing on the. If, if you do see the image, it does look a bit like when you're writing on an envelope and you run out of space at the end. The further you get down his back, it does seem to get a bit bunched up. So his body, his choice. But this is a very particular choice i would say and um it's a good job they have to wear clothes to play tennis yeah and going back on to the tennis court my um i guess thing that gave me a bit of amusement this week and i mean i shouldn't laugh because it's to do with an injury but it wasn't an injury to a player it's an injury to an umpire during a match so mohammed liani you know everyone's sort of I don't know, most famous umpire that we all know on the tour. He had to take a medical timeout of his own in the Hamburg of final. Of course he did. Of course he, he did, Kim. <laughs> Had to make it about himself. Didn't I know, about right, him. yeah. Taking over. He slipped as he came off his chair to inspect a ball mark and then um, had to get treatment uh, for, yeah, it seemed to be like, I think, a foot injury. Um, so I think it was a cut. You know, I don't think it was super serious. Um, but I just thought, has that ever happened before where an umpire has needed the, the trainer to come on rather than the players. I thought it was so, you know, such a different perspective. I feel like because it's on a on a clay court where marks need to be inspected, it was almost like that's the worst court surface to get a medical timeout for your ankle. You want it on a hard court where you can just sort of rely on a Hawkeye, Hawkeye. challenge to just sort of mean that you don't have to get out of your chair. Well, you've got to do your stretches, don't you, as well? Got to yeah. make sure you're limbered up for this because... <laughs> They've really got to do quite the move because, you know, you don't want to interrupt the play and maybe mm. in his haste to get down. But I would say having been there this week, he does like to stop start. He likes to look like he's going to get down and then he doesn't go because they didn't actually want him to. So maybe <laughs> if he just waited a little bit longer, we could have avoided this type of injury. Wow. It's that jarring motion. They do get off their chairs quite fast, though, I have to say. A lot of the umpires. I'm always quite impressed at their their speed. So, yeah, uh, occupational hazard. I hope that was logged in the in the health and safety log. Maybe, maybe there needs to be like a, an escalator type version rather than like a, <laughs> a stepped. I know we get like a stepped version of the chair umpire, and that is the norm. But maybe, maybe there needs to be some sort of evolution that doesn't involve steps and the potential to to cut yourself, cut your like foot electronic on the, line calls. <laughs> or a slide, like in a park. Oh, a slide. Oh, a slide. slide would be good. I'd that love to would see Leonie slide Into down. Into a ball pool. No, yes. that's um, something slightly different. But yeah. One for the next gen finals. <laughs> yes, I'd love to see it. Oh, slide on the side of a chair umpire. Yeah, we need to make that happen. Uh, Chris, what was your sort of irreverent highlight of the week? <laughs> well, I, um, I was also um, in Hamburg and maybe another a reason to... 
to potentially Fuliani's injury is that there was a lot of rain in Hamburg this week, but there is a roof. It's got this wonderful canvas roof that sort of folds out like an umbrella. And I will post something of that on our socials because it is quite wonderful. Um, but the roof is, I would say, a bit like if your dad had put up a gazebo for a barbecue and it started raining. It's very temperamental and rain does get inside. So there was actually a rain delay during uh, the final for a tournament that had its roof closed because the poor spectators were getting so drenched. It was causing so much commotion uh, because it was coming through holes in the roof that they actually had to stop. Um, so I just That's thought... That's not never, good. It's, it's, I mean, there's... <laughs> It's a cheap roof option, I've got to be honest, because it's a bit okay. of canvas so that it goes budget, across. It's, it's pretty, I would say it closes very quickly. You don't have to stop or adjust the time, but then you do get moments when if it is raining, it lets the rain in. So I witnessed a rain delay in a court which had a roof. And so I think for that, that's something to be mentioned on the podcast. That is, um, <laughs> that's definitely worthy of a mention, Chris. I hope you survived all the... But maybe uh, that's why he slipped though. Sorry, I should have said rain. that because of the rain gets in through the roof. Oh... Oh, dearie me. Well, let's talk about what happened in Hamburg, shall we? Um, because we did have Sasha Zverev winning the men's event for the first time. He beat Laszlo Jair in straight sets in the final. This is his first title since November 2021. Uh, obviously, he had that quite nasty injury, which took him out for a lot of last season. But, um, you know, he's won on home soil here without dropping a set. So, Chris, you were there. What did you make of, of Zverev's performances throughout the week? Well, I've seen him play the last um, the last couple of weeks. And I think it wasn't the best field in Hamburg. If I'm being completely honest, for a 500, it was probably one of the weakest 500 semi-final lineups I've seen when you compare it to this week's 500 on the hard courts. Um, so I think he was probably the best of best of the field. But in terms of the tennis that he played, if you cast your mind back to sort of the end of season finals that year... Um, it was tennis from a, a different league to what he's playing now. It was almost a defensive baseliner out there, which is not how Zverev plays. It's kind of a, a big serve with a defensive star now. He doesn't really let rip anymore. I'm not sure if it's because he doesn't trust it, but he can see him kind of getting out out um, out hit on the court, which is obviously not the way he plays his best game. So for me, I wasn't particularly um, impressed. I think just in the final um, for Laszlo, it just got a bit much in terms of everyone being against him at a home tournament um, and the pressure of not necessarily always being in finals and having form this year kind of got to him. But it was a bit of a lacklustre um, final in semi-finals, I have to say, because even in the semis where we got some real good points against um, uh, Fies in the, in the semi-final right at the end there, um, again, it just never really got going. So I think for, for this whole kind of tournament and, and lead up, I think it'd be much more interesting to see where his form is at when he gets to play some more top players um, in the States. Yeah. And do you think, I mean, Joel, what, what do you, what do you make of Zarev this week? You know, he's now back into the top 10. Do you think he's going to progress onwards from here? I know the, the field wasn't the strongest, but do you think just getting that first title is going to boost him? Uh, will we see him at the, you know, tour finals come November? Yeah, I think this was a great uh, result for him. A great, I think, journey back from, you know, what was such a, a bad injury and um i think you know he's obviously not let any of the off-court things going on is in his life distract and affect his game and um you know there are top players i think in a similar position to him who haven't actually won a big title above a 250 in the last year i think i was reading like yannick sinner for example hasn't 
uh, one above a, a 250 in the last 12 months. So for him That's to go fun. out and win a 500, it's you know it's an impressive feat. But I always come back to this point because of those allegations against him. As a fan, I don't know how much I can talk about this. How much can I like this result? It's really, really, really tricky because I know that, as I say, there, there are these things going on at the moment and it's really hard not to... And not really hard to not let that influence my sort of perception of Zverev, um, even though nothing has necessarily come of action at the moment. But I'm just like, am I allowed to like this result? Mm. It's a very I know what strange you mean. situation, I was going to yeah. say, because being there, knowing what This was been, his hometown, wasn't it? Or this is his hometown, home tournament? Yeah, it's, it's where he was born. Um, it's not necessarily where he's always lived in the past, but... He is celebrated there in a way that he isn't celebrated in other places, I would say. So this was very unusual because obviously there's a big crowd to support him. Um, he is a big name in Bostar. There was a big crowd, but this was kind of on another level. Um, and it does just feel very strange because I was with some people who weren't in the know about some of the allegations that have been made against him in the past or the new round of allegations. And they couldn't believe it based on how it was being received. And so for our listeners that might not be in the know, we'll make them aware of some of the facts surrounding this, is that previously there were allegations made by his ex-girlfriend, Olya Sharapova. And what happened was that they've been investigated now after a very lengthy investigation, but there was deemed to be not enough evidence. That does not mean they did not happen. That just means that they did not find enough evidence that they would be able to take action against it. He celebrated that as a victory. And then the mother of his child, who he doesn't have in his life anymore, has just uh, launched further allegations at the public prosecutor's office in Berlin seeking a penalty order. This is about alleged bodily harm. That's all that's been said. Uh, he has denied it. He said that is with his um, lawyers now and that he has always denied uh, these allegations. So again, nothing has been... Um, this is all alleged at the moment. But there are these allegations that follow him. And for fans, it's something that they don't think has been addressed properly. And it took a lot to be addressed in the first place for the first time round. Um, so it's very hard to know how to feel. I think you're right, John, in terms of um, when there is nothing definitive, there has been no further uh, elaboration on the allegations yet for this latest round. And it just makes it all a very odd situation to witness. Yeah, it's very unsavoury. Um and yet it is an awkward perspective, I think, you know, should you support him? Should And there's other players, you know, there's Saboth Wild, I think, you know, who had a good run lately and has similar allegations, you know. But Zverev is now back in, in the top 10. Mm. And Kim, you said, do I think he could be in the, the ATP Tour Finals at the end of the season? Well, it looks like in the rankings at the moment, the eighth spot has kind of three players vying for it. There's Zverev, Rude and Taylor Fritz. And I wanted to ask you both, who of those three do you feel like could get that? If it, it kind of works out that way, who do you think is in top position to get that final spot? Well, Casper Rude keeps getting like breadsticked lately or, you know, bageled even. Bagled, He's had some yeah. strange score lines. Um, you know, he lost to Arthur Fee in, in Hamburg and has had some weird, weird matches. Um, so I don't know, question marks out, but, you know, he maybe he was going to get to the US Open final like like last year and just creep in and make up the numbers. And Taylor Fritz, yeah, you know, he's won a title this week, which we'll get on to later. I don't think Zverev, I don't think Zverev is playing the tennis of top eight at the moment. I think the semi-final run, I don't think was that impressive this time compared to last time at the French. And I think this result, having witnessed it, I just have seen him play a lot better tennis probably three, four, two, three years ago. Um, 
And I think the tour has moved on a little bit since then, but maybe it's not the best advert for for the tennis tour if someone who's not playing anywhere near their best is still, you know, in the top 10. I think that would be a question mark from me. So I think Fritz will be there. Well, let's uh, let's wait and see on that one how they get on for the rest of the year. I mean, let's stay in Hamburg because we did have the women's um, tournament there as well. It was a joint event, which which is great. Um, and Arantxa Russ won the women's event, uh, six love, seven, six. She won um, in the final against German teenager Noma Noha Akugwe, um, who I've not heard of before, I have to say. Um, but obviously, you know, this, debut was, on this the main was her draw. debut. Yeah, only 19 years old. Also her hometown. So really great for local players, you know, despite obviously all the hoo-ha around Zverev. For local fans, you know, they've got, they had some great success, but yeah, it wasn't, um, wasn't her day in the end. Russ got, got the better of her, um, but what a fantastic run to the final and uh, also fantastic for, for Russ because she's one of those players that has been she's around been for around a while. She's been around a long time. Yeah. Long, um, long time. I still remember when she, she beat, uh, what was it? Kim Kleister's at uh, French Open. 2011, 20, second 2011. round. Yeah. Which is wild. So she'd have been very young then. She'd have been in the exact same situation as um, Noma was for this one in terms of the fact that she would have been, what, 19 then? If I, my math is correct, maybe maybe 20. But uh, it's amazing to think she's been around that long. And I would say the stories are definitely more amazing than the tennis for that one. I think it was a case where you could really tell this was a first final, but also such a big opportunity um, for us to take home a title finally. So I think it got a bit cagey at times. Um, but nevertheless, there were some great stories coming out of Hamburg, despite some of the controversy that's going on at the moment and um, great crowds for the, for a 250 final. So I think that was a real positive was that so many people turned up um, for that match. And that was the first match that was played that day. Um, and it was still pretty much a full stadium and it's the largest tennis stadium in Germany. So uh, what a great experience for both of those players. And um, if you're going to win a 250, this does it makes it feel like a 500 in terms of the audience side for, for Russ. So very nice scenes there. It's an incredible story, I think, for perseverance on the tour because you know I was reading a little bit about her history in terms of you know she was a junior champion. She won the Australian Open, and it didn't necessarily quite work for her in terms of that transition from juniors to seniors. And she's just plugged away season after season, year after year. She's had a few injuries as well, so it's I think really all nice, a really nice achievement for her to finally get that um that title victory and you could see how much it meant to her in her celebration and and Kim as you said for a cougar it's kind of I think you know the fact that this was her debut wild card her first ever tour event to get to the final that's that's a very impressive showing so um yeah I think well like everyone sort of went went home happy there and yeah I can't help but feel pleased for for both of them yeah cougar you know obviously her her first WGA main draw and um, you know she didn't have to play any kind of seeded players but she could have lost very early on you know she had to save a match point in her second round against Storm Hunter um, and you know came down a set came from a set down in the, in the quarterfinals as well so yeah fighting her way through really fantastic and and let's hope she doesn't have to wait you know as long as uh, Russ did to get her first title hopefully it's going to be a much shorter time before she does but we'll definitely be looking out for her because um you know at 19 very excited to see what she can do um and you know i think with russ i we don't really you know i don't think this is going to become the start of something necessarily but it's just really nice 
that she's finally kind of ticked that box, isn't it? And a career um, high ranking at 32. Yeah. I mean, there was a name like blasted around on kind of all the, you know, news sites comparing, you know, Ross being the the oldest first time finalist on the WGA tour since like 2007, when a 34 year old um, got to the final in Guangzhou in, in China. And that was Sitsipora Obzilla. Have either of you heard of her? I mean, probably slightly before you got... I had a poster up of her on my wall. When you I, got I, I, I really did. No, of joke, course I you did, Chris. I did she not, she <laughs> I want to see the draw. I want to see the draw for that event. Uh, yeah, That's one for par for the course, if we're really yeah. being serious. <laughs> Anyone from that draw? Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd, I'd have to Google her because that's just beyond me. But I mean, our, I think our defence is that neither, none of us were probably... <laughs> really avidly following tennis back then in 2007 the it was before the podcast yeah. it was well before tennis, tennis didn't weekly. exist before the podcast <laughs> oh dear well let's have a look at what else happened on the european clay um last week we had umag as well out in croatia um where we had uh alexi popperin up against stan wavrinka um popperin winning in three sets to get his second tour title coming from a set down um I mean, it was a classic sort of youth versus experience matchup in the final. We all know what Stan Wawrinka has done in the past. And we saw Popper in, didn't we, at the uh, the Boodles uh, prior to Wimbledon. But Joel, what, what did you make of this this matchup and, and the final that we saw here? Popper in winning in, in three sets out in Umark. I thought he was going to retire, to be honest. He, he really hurt his leg, injured his leg. And I thought, you know, that would have been Wawrinka with all of his experience, his... Um, he would have been able to um, make the most of that and, and come out as champion. And you saw like how I think disappointed he was in the in the result because he you know he cried in the the presentation. Um, but yeah, for Popperin, I think you know he's been on a great trajectory this season. He had that really good win at the start against in the Australian Open against um, Taylor Fritz in, in five sets, and I think that really gave him the confidence and, and belief that you know he can he can pull out and be a big a big match player and uh, you know we spoke to him at the boodles and I feel like he was a little bit kind of shy and a little bit kind of quite softly spoken but um this match I think showed that he can play some big game tennis and uh I think Vavrinka will be disappointed I think he didn't maybe make the most of that injury I don't know maybe try a new strategy bring out some more drop shots and get someone you know injured running running more than than he did that would be my only I think criticism which I was a little bit surprised by given his experience yeah, I think almost in a way, Popperin had to change his, you know, tactic, shorten the rallies. And obviously that proved very successful. Um, and I guess you never know how you're going to deal with you've got a potential injury. And, and also it can affect the the other player, can't it? So maybe Stan saw that he was suffering and thought, and it just kind of affected his his game a bit. Um, so yeah, well done, Alexi Popperin. Um, it's great, great title to pick up. Umag's been... Uh, a historic tournament throughout the years. Um, let's look at the ladies' uh, action from last week. Chris, we had L- Lausanne, a WTA 250. This was won by uh, Elisabetta Cocciaretto, another first-time uh, tour winner, along with Arantxa Ross. Um, Cocciaretto was the second seed here. She beat Clara Barella France, 754664. Um, so they're both quite young, uh, I guess, up and coming players, both 22 years of age. Cocciaretto being the higher ranked player. Um, took almost three hours to, to, to beat her, but Cocciaretto winning her first tour title. What did you make of, of the final that we had in um, Lausanne and the week, you know, the Cocciaretto put together? Yeah, I think um, 
as we're seeing this sort of part of the tour, we're seeing so many first-time finalists. I think last year's, uh, last last year's, it's not been that long, last week's episode, it felt like everyone was a first-time finalist. And again, we're having kind of um, a lot of first-time titleists this week. So I think it's always nice to see a breakthrough. It's always nice to see a competitive, you know, final. Um, the final in Hamburg was... Obviously, there was a bagel involved. This was very, very different in terms of it going the distance uh, with a 7 5 4 6 6 4 result. Um, and she really kind of battled her way through the tournament. So you couldn't say that she, she didn't earn it because she beat um, in the first round the Swiss wildcard, who I'm sure I'll be saying this wrong, but Naif, I want to say. But she she's had a fantastic um, Hopman Cup reaching the final. Um, so although this does look like maybe she hasn't had to play anyone who's that highly ranked, um, I still think she's had to had to get it done and she's had to fight her way through. And it just shows you um, just how much a tournament can change as, as you go through. You lose the top seed, the tournament's wide open um, and you can bag a title. So uh, I thought it was I thought it was quite a nice result, really. I feel like this was one of those draws anyone could say I we could win this. We should predict 250s instead of slams and we'd have even less success. <laughs> oh, God. Well, one player who didn't have a great week, I thought was Leoli Jean-Jean because she got double bageled by Emma Navarro, which uh, definitely caught my eye on the scoreboard. But I suppose a little bit of controversy coming out of Lausanne. We had a match between uh, Mira Andreva and Diana Yastremska in the first round. Andreva won the match very comfortably, but there was, um, a, you know, a sort of... Uh, very dissatisfied Yastremska, um, who asked the WTA to sanction Andreva because Andreva has apparently been liking some Instagram posts that show support to to Russia and the war and, and Putin, um, which obviously Yastremska being Ukrainian is not going to be happy about. She asked the WTA to like intervene to sanction Andreva. Joel, do you think that's the WTA's responsibility to get involved in what players are liking on social media? Do you mm. think something should have been done in this situation when, you know, it wasn't, nothing was done? Yeah, it's a, it's a really tough one. I, I still feel like the WTA are wary of not not picking sides, even if, you know, they want to show as much support as they as possible for Ukraine. I don't think they can be shown to be picking sides. And I think if you get into kind of micromanaging people's profiles you know how 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 deep do you take that do you take that across like every single player available so i think the wta probably were right maybe to stay clear but certainly if you're a ukrainian you're definitely you know not impressed with you know the 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 activity and um it just shows i think that it's still a very real thing on the tour that can happen it can happen in a round one match it can happen at a grand slam quarterfinal it can happen at any time and i think can really kind of open up a, a conversation and you know your strengths has always i think been banging on the drum particularly on these moments because she's obviously very passionate about you know the cause and the effort going on in in ukraine so yeah it was a bit tricky i was a little bit surprised though because obviously mira andreva i feel like she's been like the golden child of of tennis on the women's tour over the last over the last few months but for some fans this is going to bring a new a new light onto her yeah i was surprised because she doesn't she's not based in russia i think she's based out in france has been for a while but clearly you know she isn't as against the war as some of her fellow compatriots have been. Or it raises the question in terms of, you could obviously say that your account was hacked. There are obviously multiple reasons to explain this. Does she actually control her own social media? Um, We've seen this quite regularly. I think it does raise the question um, to what extent 
uh, the WTA will be willing to get involved in situations like this because we've seen with Potapova in the past. We also have seen just last week that Vera Vonareva was denied entry to Poland um, because of uh, matters, uh, reasons of state security and public safety, despite the fact she kind of had a no-war visor at the Miami Open in March 2022. So it does seem like they don't have a clear, and this is what we always say with these things, there needs to be clear guidelines and they needs to be stuck to it because if, if it uh, is a case where it's on a case-by-case basis, it's almost too late by the time anything does come out about it. Um, and the sanctions don't actually have implications for the players who are actually showing their support for Russia, kind of making a mockery of saying that you are doing anything for Ukrainian athletes at all. So um, I do have a lot of sympathy for Yastramsky here because if there's no explanation then it doesn't feel like she should have to play this match at all because it's against what the WTA said that they are promoting and the way that they're handling the situation. Um, so I'm glad she went public with it, but it's a shame that she had, to, had no choice but to. Um, but especially in Europe, you can see tensions are still high. We'll talk about it in the Czech Republic um, coming up. But again, there still does not seem to be the clarity from the WTA um, and it continues not to take action. Yes. And uh, will they ever? I, I don't know. It's, it's, it is a tricky line. You know, how much do they intrude on someone's personal space and actions? How, you know, as a governing body of a sport, how much can they can they do? Um, be interesting to hear what our listeners think on that one as well. Um, let's look at the hardcore action. Uh, we had the Warsaw Open uh, where Sviontek uh do you not mean the Sviontek Open? With her title, yeah, Iga Sviontek Open. Uh, so her first ever 250 title, actually. So, um, I mean, <laughs> another one to tick off, you know, I suppose. She's she's kind of ticking all boxes. Um, but she absolutely thrashed uh, Laura Ziegmund in the final. Six love, six one. The bakery was well and truly up and running and, and baking, um, you know, very dominant from from Shionte. She didn't lose a set during the course of the tournament. Um, and I mean, fairly straightforward draw for her. No difficulties. The expected winner is what we got. Um, Chris, what did you make of Shionte? You know, throughout the course of this week. Obviously, this is a, a draw that you know there was only so many top players she could beat because they're only allowed uh, what one top ten player per two fifty. So. If she's there, she's not going to have anyone. You know you're not going to have anyone uh, on a similar ranking to you, are you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Iga doesn't always play her best tennis at home. I think it's fair to say. I think um, it's always a struggle when you are um, the top seed playing at home and all the expectation is there. She said that it's not easy. Um, Obviously, she lost to Garcia right at the start of the Renaissance. Um, When it was on clay... I think she said that she felt as much pressure as like the French Open final playing playing at home. Well, it's a dad's tournament, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's probably a big moneymaker. A lot of deals are being done there as well. And um, a lot of people want to see her play. She's very, very popular there. So um, I, can, I can understand that it's a very different pressure, but it still is a lot of pressure. But in terms of the week and, and, and the finals, I think that the big story has to be that... Um, Heather Watson Lara- getting to a quarterfinal. Well, that's a big story too. She also won the doubles title. But Lara Sigmund uh, had to play two matches in one day. She played for over six hours the day before, winning both in three sets. She beat Maria 5-7, 6-3, 6-4, and then she had to come back onto court to beat Stefanini 7-6, 5-7, 6-3. So if you had a ticket for semifinals day 
um, you would have seen over six hours of Lara Sigmund. So, I mean, honestly, the fact that, that she sounds got like the your final, dream, Chris. I mean, I was, I mean, I was live streaming it from Hamburg, but I mean, <laughs> genuinely, what an you're what not incre- joking, are you? No, I'm not joking. But what what an incredible feat um, to be able to do that, and then it, it really just meant that the, the poor, I mean, poor Sigmund reaching the final. I mean. Getting one game is, is never unimpressive against Eager. Yeah. Um, but especially when you had seven hours the day before. So special mention there, I think it has to, has to go to Lara. I was going to say the Warsaw Open needed the roof from Hamburg. But based on what you said earlier, maybe maybe they didn't really need it. Just honestly, a large gazebo would do. um but yeah going back to heather watson great great week for her she won the doubles with yanina wickmeyer who uh yeah it's a classic classic player um but one one thing that sort of i've been reading about is um some comments that being made about Iga spiontek um from a an ex-player called jimmy arias Mm. um i i have to say i've not heard of him before i don't know if i'm if I'm embarrassing myself by admitting that, but I don't know who he is. Um, former player, apparently. But he's had a go at Sviontek to say, I don't think she's been great for women's tennis because she wears her hat so low that you can't see her face or eyes during a match. I mean, I'm sorry, but this to me just screams what a man, load of tosh. man telling woman what jo- to John Infidel from the US, it feels like, a little bit like their equivalent. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know who, who he is, but like... I mean, who's he to comment on how she, whether she wants to wear a hat or whether she should? I mean, for crying out loud. Um, She's got sponsorship deals on running. Want that hat on? I think more players should wear hats because the sun's just going to be damaging their eyes all the time. Every tournament I go to, I worry about it. I'm like, if Mm. I can't see the ball without shades and a hat on, what chances do they have? Yeah. I'm so confused he he said I want to see her personality I feel like she's shown her personality in abundance uh, like through interviews and and on court I'm not sure he's on social media this Jimmy I think maybe he's a bit old school so I think has he watched Breakpoint she's on that go and watch that Jimmy Oh, That's your homework. Me. Please report yeah. back afterwards. <laughs> or, or never say anything again, either or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is part of the Tennis Channel's network coverage. So that is where that has come from. But um, yeah, very, very surprising and not, not the take I believe in. I think Nick Kyrgios was, was agreeing with us, which uh, I know we don't necessarily agree with what everything Nick Kyrgios says, but uh, or does, like once, yeah, agree with him on this point. Yeah, we wouldn't all get Pokemon tattoos. And if it was a if it was a six love six one match, and poor Laura Sigmund wasn't able to move, maybe he just said it as a very stupid comment. So benefit of the doubt, I guess we should give him in some ways. Perhaps let's look at what happened in Atlanta, uh, out in the hard courts in the US. Uh, we had Taylor Fritz winning the title over Alexander Vukic, uh, Australian, and yeah, Fritz, he's uh, he's back to winning titles. Rather an iffy clay and grass season, um, but you know he's back to to getting that victory. He did squander some match points to, on on route, but got the job done in three sets over Vukic. Um, and yes, yeah, his first title since March, so he'll be pleased to kind of kickstart his U.S. Open like hard court swing with a with a title win in Atlanta. Uh, Joel comments on Taylor Fritz throughout the week. Yeah, it was a good good result for him. I think, as you said, back on track, I think, for this season because, you know, he's not had great Grand Slam results. I mean, Australian Open and Wimbledon, I think he only reached round two and then and then left. So 
I think this is a good um, you know, confidence boost for him ahead of the you know the North American swing, um, home tournaments, going up to the the U.S. Open, and um, yeah, it was a tough battle in in that final, and I think he was. He did very well, I think, to win that in three, given he squandered match points in that second set. I thought Vukic had shifted the momentum his way. So, yeah, I was impressed with Fritz, how he dealt with that sort of moment um, at the end of the second set, start of the third, and was able to come through and clinch it. Yeah, absolutely. And and just a note on Brits out in action in Atlanta, we had Dan Evans had a bit of a shocking loss against uh, Kurt Vogt. Doesn't he was like six well. three five two up against Kurt for forty love mm. and lost. It was he is not having a good time no. on the tour at the moment, unfortunately. No, but Nishikori back and he's making uh, waves already. Made his, made the quarterfinals, which is really nice to see mm. uh, Nishikori back on the tour. Um, he did lose to Fritz in, in straights, but I mean, yeah, very good achievement for uh, for the renaissance of Nishikori. Perhaps uh, we can start using the word for him now. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fritz very much at home in Atlanta, home support uh, running to to the title. So well done, Taylor Fritz. Let's take a very quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be discussing the Czech Republic banning Russians and Belarusians uh, for the Prague Open. Uh, the news that there will be a crowd announcement before Azarenka against Svitolina. And also we'll be taking a look at all of the draws for this week's action, including the first ever combined ATP and WTA 500 event in Washington, D.C. So do not go anywhere. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to a par for the courts. Joel, you have par for the courts for me and Chris. You've been so excited in telling us all day, I all know. weekend, in fact, uh, that you've got this up your sleeve. I've not Grass. stopped Almost. smiling. He's had this planned for us. <laughs> I've not stopped smiling since I conjured this. This is going to be horrible, I can courts. tell, if he's this happy, Kim. <laughs> So what have you got for us? I'm, I'm so curious. So so before I get into it, on its own, I, I would maybe expect Chris to get 100% because this is very much in his home, in his home territory. But but Kim, I do have I do have confidence in you as well. Good to hear Kim, isn't it? <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so the topic I have for you both and our listeners in our path of the courts back and forth is players to have played Serena Williams in a Grand Slam ladies singles final. Oh. And there are 
and and I I looked at this on Wikipedia. There are eighteen players in total who have played Serena Williams in a Grand Slam ladies singles final, and I would like you to tell me as many of those as possible. Okay, that's a great. That is a good one, actually. That so is ha- a good one. Okay, so this is back and forth. So who's going first, me or you, Chris? Um, I'll go first, Kim. But the rules okay. would be that. <laughs> We, if I get one wrong, you've got to get one right to win it. I think someone pointed out one of our listeners understood the competition a little bit better than we did. <laughs> um, well, there's only one person you can start with and should start with, and that's Venus Williams. Correct. Yes. Thanks for that, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first player that came to my mind was Lucy Shavajava. Correct. Yes, that is a correct answer. I thought you would leave that uh, in your pocket, but yes, no, that is one of the obscure like do answers. That. Kim likes to show off early and then um, lose on a Russian name. Yeah. So I'll I'll save her the trouble and go for Vera Vonareva. Very good. That was at Wimbledon, I believe. Um, but yes, that is on the list. Simona Halep. Correct. I can be forgot. Oh yes, she had won that one. Of course, this is she can win Wimbledon. them and lose them. Yeah. Yes, um, yes, she has lost some. Uh, I will go for Maria Sharapova. Correct. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm struggling now. How am I struggling? This is bad. Um, she's destroyed so many players, and I've think about the recent ones, Kim. I know. That's what. Oh, yeah, but I'm just... Oh, the ones that she's lost as well. Yeah, Kerber. Correct. Yes, Angie Kerber. Uh, Sam Stoza. Correct. Yes, mm. Sam Stoza's on the list. Mm, Bianca Andreescu. Very good. The last player to play Serena Williams in a Grand Slam final, Bianca Andreescu, Correct. I'm going to go for the returning Dane, Caroline Wozniacki. Very good. Correct answer. Can you tell I'm feeling confident, Kim? (laughs) I think Kim's struggling. Oh, I want to say a Russian name, Chris, but you've put me off now. Don't do it. I wouldn't say don't do it this time. Oh, maybe don't do it. That could have been a semi-final, Kim. You're going to have to say it now. I was going to say Svetlana Kuznetsova. That is an incorrect oh. answer, Kim. <laughs> you are out. It's felt like oh. uh, the quarterfinal of the French they played that year. Was it 2008? Oh. That was a fantastic I will say, match. though, Kim, there is oh, a Dinara Russian... Safina. There oh. is a Russian I player. Were gonna say there her. is a Russian player there. And yeah. Dinara Safina is on the list. You could have said that. Chris, can you complete the board for me? Hingis was the first one. I know that for sure. Yep, correct. We haven't said Davenport. Mm. Yeah, very that good. Davenport a, also on there. Osaka? That was an Australian Open. They Osaka. never played in the final. Naomi oh, Osaka, they did. Yep. Oh, yes, where everyone US booed. Open. Oh, US Open. Oh, yeah. Why did I not uh, say her? Who else do we have? It's a few, Ooh, it's a few left. Radwanska, that was in very the good. Wimbledon mm-hmm. final. Which Radwanska? Agnieszka. Uh, Ursula? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who else am I thinking? What about Petrova? Never in no, the final. No, no, no. Justine Ennan on the Australian Open Very final. Very good. Yes, Maresmo? Justine Ennan. No Moresmo. There are two names left that have not been Ooh, said. Azarenka. Pishka? Sorry, no. three names. Yes, oh, Azarenka. Azarenka. Mm. Yeah. Two Who names else? left. Uh, another US Open would be Yankovic. 
Very good, Yelena Yankovic. I thought that was going to be the. Mm. I thought that was going to be the pointless answer, but yes, there's I, one I, more. Ivanovic. It's not Ivanovic. What nationality? Yeah. Might give it away. I'm not giving you the nationality. I'll give you the tournament. I believe it happened at Wimbledon. Okay. And this player is not playing at the moment. Is the hint I'm giving you? Bartley. Oh, so someone no. who's on a career hiatus. Are we thinking? Three. Two, don't know. One, Garbina Muguruza. Oh. So she got to the final that before. At the, the French as well, though. That was two oh, times. Oh, did that happen at the French? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just no, thinking it was both. Muguruza. No, it was both. Oh, was it, it was both? Wimbledon okay. And well, the French Open. Well, there you go. There you but, go. So the the 18 in total. That was Hingis, Venus Williams, Sharapova, Davenport, Yankovic, Safina, Enan, Zvonareva, Stoza. Aga Radvanska, Azarenka, Wozniacki, Shivajeva, Muguruza, Kerber, Osaka, Halep, and Bianca Andrescu. Those were your 18. Awesome. Well, thank so, you very much, Joel. Um, listen- did that live up to the height? <laughs> did that did. live up to the height? Well, yes, it did. Kim I did enjoy that Russian one. As usual, so it did I went out on a rogue Russian as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, let us know thing. how you got on with that one. Hopefully better than I did. Um, and let's have a look at what's in our mailbag this week. Uh, we've had Stephen Rankin get in touch uh, again on email. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, he said, hi, Joel, Kim and Chris. Of all the players currently ranked between 50 and 100, who do you think has the potential to have a surprisingly deep run at this year's US Open? A la Chris Eubank style. Uh, P.S. You're all doing a fantastic job with the pod. I never miss it. Thank you very much, Stephen. That's very kind of you. Um, and yeah, some food for thought. So players ranked between 50 and 100. I assume he means on the WTA and ATP tours. Um, Joel, I'm coming to you first. Who, you just want me to say? get my terrible predictions out of the way first <laughs> and just sort of make yours more acceptable. Um, I just want to say Chris Eubanks again for some reason, but I think he's now in the top 30, so he's he's mm. out of it. Um, I will go with, on the men's side, Jack Draper, um, with the caveat that if if his body holds up, which we just know it won't, uh, it won't in, in five-set tennis, but I'm going Jack Draper on the men's side. And then on the women's side, I'm going with Janina Wickmeyer, I think she had a very good. I mean, she she got to the semis in in Poland. She got a lot of experience. I thought she's a very handy player. I watched her at um, at Surbiton. So yeah, I think she could do maybe like a little bit of a Peronkova come the U.S. Open. So uh, yeah, I'm going Whitmire and Chris. Who are you going for? So I actually misread the question. Um, so I'm going to cheat at this, um, and I'm going to say, <laughs> "How someone... did you? What? How did you interpret? How did you how, interpret this? Yeah, how could it? Well, how I, else could it be? I read the question before the new rankings came out. I'll say that. Okay. So this was correct as of yesterday, but I didn't realize the 50 to 100 was specific. But I was going to say um, Arthur Fees. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I, I was very impressed with him, and I think he hasn't had that breakout result. He's won a tournament but he hasn't had the breakout slam result yet. Um, but I've got some other players in mind as well that I think could be interesting. Um, on the women's side, I do think that double bagel from Emma Navarro, she's definitely putting some good results together. And another American, Peyton Stearns, I also think is playing pretty good tennis. So I'm going for some of the younger players who haven't broken through yet, whereas Joel's kind of going for the experience there. But Kim, we were all sent this question. Who did you put down? Well, for the women, I 
you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, you know, perhaps um, it's a bit controversial now, but Mira Andreva, you know, she's made waves at the French, at Wimbledon. Why shouldn't she go deep at the US? Just hopefully she's going to stay away from Instagram uh, in the meantime uh, or Twitter, whichever social platform it was. Um, and I think maybe on the men's side, someone like Zhizhen Zhang, um, who has been going up the rankings, uh, has had quite a jump just outside the top 50 at the moment. So I feel like he is um, due a kind of run to the second week. So yeah, I'd love for someone to come through Chris Eubank style. I think, you know, what he did at Wimbledon was great. And there's normally, you know, a surprise package, isn't there? At every grand slam. Botic van der Zanschulp type. Botic van der Zanschulp. Or yeah. Tim van Reithoven. Oh, what happened yes. to him? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't think anymore. he's been able to the stay fit. Season's over. No. Yeah. Oh, poor TVR. Anyway, thank you, Stephen, for your question. Um, listeners, we'd love to know what you what you think. Who, Which players do you think are going to be uh, making a deep run at the US Open? Let us know. Um, and let's have a look at other talking points from the tours um, because there's a couple of again, politically themed uh, talking points. So we've spoken already, you know, about the the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and it's continuing to affect um, life on, on tour as well. The Czech, uh, Czech Republic have, have banned Russians and Belarusian players from, you know, taking part in any event in, in the country, which will mean that obviously none of them will be able to compete at the Prague Open. Um so this was, well, starting today, um, we were expecting to see a handful of Russian and Belarusian players, but um, the government have approved a resolution banning athletes and revoking visas. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, obviously, you know, Wimbledon didn't allow Russians and Belarusians last year. We kind of just assumed that everywhere else was was allowing them. Now, obviously, the UK are. But yeah, what, what do you make of this? Do you think... Um, there might be further, you know, instances of this, or is it just a one-off in in Czech Republic? I definitely wasn't expecting us to go from Wimbledon reverting away from their ban mm. to tournaments now and countries individually now banning. So I think that's definitely a trajectory I wasn't expecting in a similar way that I wasn't kind of expecting when there was that um, news about Ostapenko and, and Latvia actually saying they didn't want um, their that uh, athletes to be competing against people from Russia and Belarus. So I think it's definitely a case that um, I was surprised by this. Um, I think the WTA has a responsibility to players in this situation that they shouldn't end up being denied at the border. I think that should have been something that was communicated to them um, prior to this. I think, again, it is just down to managing situations like this. I think tournaments and countries, this is bigger than obviously purely just WTA, but the WTA events do span multiple countries, multiple territories, multiple governments. Um, and I think the safety of players is of utmost important, whether they are from any of the different um, countries that we're talking about here. And uh, when it says that Czech police stopped a Russian player from entering the country ahead of the WTA Prague Open, um, you think, how did it get to this again? It's almost like Novak Djokovic arriving well, That's exactly what I. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking this is like Novak Djokovic mm. all over again with, um, you know, not getting into um, into Australia. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an it's an interesting one, and you, you sense the WTA who are very kind of more open and um, you know want to ensure their players have the choice and the freedom and the flexibility to play the the tournaments wherever they can. That they they are able to do that, but as you can imagine, I think like countries and governments, 
they will make something happen and then everyone has to fall in line, including tennis tournaments. And um, yeah, I was a bit, maybe a little bit surprised by it, but I'm almost like if a country... If a country wants to do that and, and run that way and everything has to fall in line now as a result, then you know players have to maybe respect that. And I think it's almost, I think, fortunate that, that there are so many tournaments going on at the moment that if, for example, maybe the Prague Open is not, is not an option, I don't feel like you're too far away perhaps from playing another event elsewhere. Yeah, I think, you know, the WTA rules state that all players should be allowed to compete you know, based on, on merit and not discriminated against by nationality. So obviously this goes against WTA rules, but governmental rules will always um, win out over, you know, governing body of sport rules. So we'll have to see if, um, you know, going forward as the Czech Republic might rescind that uh, or if other countries might might adopt it. But I mean, on, on the same sort of tone uh, with the conflict that's going on um we've had a different sort of attitude from the washington dc event um city open and that is because Vitalina and azarenka are, are due to play they've ended up um drawn against each other and obviously they played each other at wimbledon there was quite an awkward ending without a handshake the crowd then booed azarenka so the city open have decided to avoid this from happening they're going to make an announcement at the start of the match uh, just to state that there will not be a handshake at the end, which will hopefully avoid this kind of, um, you know, unsavoury ending with the players walking off court. Um, do you think this is a good move? Do you think, you know, the, the, they're sort of going with the assumption that the crowd don't necessarily know that Svisselina isn't shaking hands with with Russians and Belarusians? Do you think this will help um, the, with the crowd's kind of understanding? Joel, you're nodding your head. I take that <laughs> yeah. means you agree. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a very positive action um i think the, the problem with the me that i had with wimbledon it was that it assumed that the fans knew the context and knew what was going on and we saw that very ugly moment of azarenka gesturing to the fans they hit you know azarenka and sfissina played a fantastic match probably one of the matches of the it's going to be one of the matches of the tour this season and then for her to get booed off yeah she, she did not obviously respond very happily to that so i'm glad we're getting that clarity with the crowd um you know beforehand and there are no assumptions being made because Wimbledon made assumptions and it led to ugly scenes and here no assumptions are being made and I hope we can just have a, a clean tennis match with you know no handshake at the end and we all walk off everyone very very happy I think it'll still be interesting to see what the reaction is at the end of the match um, you know, there might be people who miss the, the the announcement, for example, but at least I think the event are doing as much as possible uh, to mitigate that outcome. Yeah. Chris, do you agree with Joel? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's completely avoidable. Um, the situation that we've seen where, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in terms of if you do accept that there's no handshake and you walk to the net first or you, then you look like you, you're not willing to shake the opponent's hand to the audience. Um, as Arenka said after she played Svitolina, I knew there was going to be no handshake. Um, she made it clear she wasn't going to shake my hand. What, what, what else could you do? What else could I do in that situation? And I think it is at a point where this is what you can do is say at the start, there will be no handshake um, because we must have learned by now that tennis audiences expect a handshake. And it's not because they aren't necessarily the most informed, um, but because that's what they've become accustomed to. Um, 
and the nature of Wimbledon and tournaments like that is that you might not follow the tour throughout the entire year, but you definitely do attend those big tournaments. And in the US, where tennis is more of an entertainment than I think than a sporting event at times, I think it is important to make it clear because it will be something that could escalate quite quickly. So I think this is a good move. I think it's needed. Um, and I think that Svitolina um, has welcomed it. And I do think that probably Azarenka and her role in the player council probably did help bring about a situation where this will be announced. Do you think this will be a one-off or do you think if there are any other matches in the future that there'll be like a blanket like announcement maybe from the chair umpire before and it becomes more of a routine as opposed to a one-off? Or do you think they'll see like maybe te- use this as like the test example and then see how we get on? Depends how it goes, doesn't it? I mean, if this doesn't go well um, or doesn't have an impact, then I guess there would be questions. But if you do it more than once, then people will become used to hearing that and it will start to make more sense to people. So I would stick with it. I think it is it is needed because if you're looking at kind of the players where they've all had to sign things to be at Wimbledon to say they do not support the war and then they're getting booed for not shaking the hand of a player who's not going to shake their hand. It's their every right not to. It's their right and to it's protest. And it's, it's not going, going anywhere, anywhere anytime soon, is it? Exactly. And I think this is um, something which it does seem odd but necessary. And so I think I'm glad that um, that they've decided to do this at the City Open. I think it's, it's a good one because otherwise you see in tournaments like when I was in um, Bostar where... Uh, Russian involvement in tournaments can cause some sort of heightened tensions when it comes to uh, those later rounds and if players play against each other um, it's something that all tournaments want to avoid they want it to run smoothly so it's in everyone's best interest not just the players yeah and it's looking like it's going to be a, a great event you know it's a combined event the women's draw is, is loaded uh, yeah. Jesse Pagula can we, can we and- just appreciate Azarenka Svitolina <laughs> first round again so soon after that Wimbledon epic I'm I'm pumped for that I know it's an amazing draw, especially the top bit, you know, because we've got uh, Jessica Gula, Sophia Kennan in that section. Obviously, I'm intrigued to see what she's going to do after her, you know, few wins at Wimbledon. Um, it's just a load of draw. Gauss Garcia is the second seed down at the bottom of the draw. Coco Goff's there. Uh, Madison Keys, you know, all sorts. So um, that is a loaded draw. And they've also got, obviously, on the men's side, uh, Andy Murray is there. Um, he's got, well, he's seeded. Uh, he's got the winner of, I think, Vukic Nakashima uh, as his opener. Taylor Fritz is the top seed. TFO, the second seed. Tons of Americans in the draw, as I'm sure you can expect. But also, you know, some, yeah, that, that I mean, both draws, I think, um, have very <laughs> Chris, good potential. The, the draw here is... N- I'm, it's got to be said, it is night and day to that Hamburg 500 draw. <laughs> oh, it really is. It really is. I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I would maybe I should start streaming something whilst we finish the podcast off because Andrescu's <laughs> on court right now. Um, but no, one thing I was going to say on this draw, and I know that we have talked about quite a lot of um, issues on the pod, but this is one more thing I'd just like to add would be that Murray's spoken out about some of the prize money issues that still is ongoing. And Although I'm celebrating the fact there is a stacked draw for both the women and the men at this tournament, um, due to the nature of how the WTA and ATP are set up, the ATP has thresholds of prize money for tournaments of this type. The WTA does not. And Murray kind of uh, brought that into the spotlight this week because the, the, the prize money is very different. So the men's prize for the same tournament, same grounds, same spectators... Um, is over $2 million uh, US dollars with the winner taking home 350000 For the women, uh, the pool is 780000 uh, with the winner taking home 123000 So 
I think these events, although it's great for tennis, seeing women's and men's events and seeing such great lineups, it must be very strange to players who are having the same experience, but they're yeah. taking home a fraction of what the men are at this event. It's almost very kind of, we've got the superficial kind of like equality of, oh, there's an ATP 500 alongside a WTA 500. But yeah, for the players, if you scratch the surface and you look it's at the prize WTA money distribution, almost. it's like, yeah, it's, it's really different. I mean, this is... I feel like we've seen these inequalities with with prize give prize money before, and I just hope it gets. When is it going to get sorted? We just keep going on, and I I love these combined events, and I think we should have more of them. But I feel like we should only have them if prize it's money is is also committed. There's a commitment, yeah, as you said, at least to being equal or, or at least on some sort of parity. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, let's look at the other events for the, the week uh, on tour because we've got Los Cabos where Stefanos Tsitsipas is the top seed. Cam Norrie's there as the second seed. Um, he, Kim, he loves you say the Los, you, Yeah, I was going to say, you say the Los Cabos Open. I actually, again, this isn't this not the Cam Norrie Open? <laughs> He's had great success here. So let's hope for more of the same. Um, certainly, I hope he can feel, you know, nice and back at home on the court. Tsitsipas definitely got a nice fee, didn't he, to come to come south of the border to Mexico <laughs> to play this, I feel as well. Yeah, and we've also got Kitzbühel uh, still on the clay. Thomas uh, Martin Echeverry is the top seed there uh, with, yeah, Hampman catching Offner. So um, still still down in Austria on the European clay courts. Dominic Team, this is his home event. He's there on a wild card. What can he do, um, you know, to, to kind of get a few wins mm. under his belt here. You know, he did he did well at Wimbledon against Sitspass, I thought, in that opener. Didn't get the win. I'm hoping that he can just get some wins. Um, come on, Dominic team, you can do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also the Prague Open, as we just mentioned, which will not be featuring any Russians or Belarusians. That's a WGA 250 um, on outdoor hard courts. Heather Watson's there? Heather Watson's there. Buskova's there. Home event, top seed uh, for home fans. And Linju of China, second seed. Also, uh, obviously, a load of checks in the draw and, with Noskova. And Chris, and you'll, you'll love this. I'm sure you've already noted we've got a lovely lucky loser versus lucky loser spot in the main draw. Hibino of Japan against one of our faves, Sara Irani. I've already started on the download tennis app. <laughs> I'm ready for that notification. We're it's time all to ready. The We're all ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be checking on the ace count. No, I'm not. I'm, obviously, I'm joking. But uh, yes, listeners, I hope you enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com and don't forget to check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.